Welcome to the Relationship Cycle with Jorge and Nelsa, where we discuss dating and other significant relationships. Good evening, good evening. Hola, papi, hola. Um, great show set up for today. Um, back with the Relationship Cycle with Jorge and Nelsa. Uh, thanks to everybody who's listening and following us on YouTube, subscribing, hitting those like buttons. Um, you know, sometimes we do that at the end of the show, Poppy. And I really wanted to say thank you tonight up front because uh, we have some of the best listeners, really. Um, and tonight we're going to have a great show for our listeners again. Um, you know, we just discussed couples therapy not too long ago and talking about the benefits of that, um, how it can help your relationship and whatnot. And so we've got um, a therapist in with us tonight and I'm really excited about the show. So um, before we uh, start the interview, I just want to do a little brief introduction. Uh, Cindy Ishale Aya is a licensed clinical mental health counselor, licensed school counselor and a certified Reiki master here in North Carolina. She's the owner of Innervations, PLLC, a therapeutic private practice where she invites her clients to examine and reshape the conversations within. Cindy Ishell received her EDS and MA in mental health counseling from Gardner-Webb University and her BA in psychology from Queens University. Um, and we're going to share, um, you know, her contact information and everything in her show notes and on our promo. But I'm excited about this because, you know, we really wanted to get into um, like family, couples counseling, that kind of thing. And we're going to get a chance to do that tonight. So everyone, please hold on until after this break. And we're back. Uh, So we're excited. Uh, Again, like I said, we're going to have Cindy Aya on. Uh, talking about couples therapy. And Cindy, welcome to the show. Hi, Nelsa. Hi, we're so glad to have you. Um, Jorge is on the line as well. And uh, we're looking forward to getting your take as a licensed mental health therapist on couples therapy. You know, we've done one show on that already, Cindy. We just talked about it a little bit. Um, Just kind of recapping uh, a little bit about what we talked about in the first show. Uh, But one of the first questions I'd like to ask you is, do you think as a a therapist that couples therapy is important, uh, especially before couples get too far down the road? I do. Um, I think couples therapy could be a good way to um, create boundaries um, and kind of pre-maintain the relationship, if you will, right? So sometimes, you know, we don't know the questions to ask until we're in something. So I think going to a couple's um, counseling session could uh, equip couples with things they haven't thought about that that may be important to talk about before they get too far in. Cindy, let me ask you something. Uh, Hi, this is Jorge. Um, So I know that um, I feel like in society, Uh, we tend to kind of have a reactive mentality and normally you don't see people, uh, you know, particularly uh, individuals or even couples go to counseling or seek therapy 
unless things are going wrong. Um, however, you as a professional in this field, would you recommend even new couples to consider therapy even before, you know, they move in or before they, you know, get into a, a committed relationship together? What's your take on that? Um, glad you a- asked that question. Yes, I do. I have two sons, uh, one who recently got married in uh, March of this year. And I encouraged he and his wife to go ahead and secure a therapist, um, to go ahead and build a relationship with that therapist when the time comes. Because there will be the time when you'll need to go and seek out some type of professional help um, in regards to, you know, it could be about job situations. It could be about living arrangements. You know, the chores are things that typically come up. You know, how do we do life together? Um, because it changes, you know, after we get through that first year and a half of the marriage where it's kind of euphoric, you know, it can last mm-hmm. all the way for 18 months. Then things start to settle in. We get back into our routines. I always think it's a great way to safeguard the relationship to go ahead and secure the therapist because I don't know if you've had therapy before, but the relationship is so important and feeling comfortable. So even the pursuit and the hunt, if you will, for finding a therapist sometimes is not right away. So it's, you know, good to have it in your pocket, in the back pocket, um, when, when things might change and things do change because we evolve mm-hmm. and so the ways that we present ourselves to each other probably are authentic in that moment. Right. But as we grow and evolve and learn and have experiences, we change. So the ways that we are with each other in the beginning won't be the ways that we are with each other in the long haul that evolves over time. So if you have a therapist in your back pocket, <laughs> then it's not, you know, an added stress. And then, you know, there's less room for someone to say, well, you find a therapist. It becomes maybe a one-sided type conversation. So when things are good, it's always great to secure the therapist then. And that both of you can connect to, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I like the word safeguard, um, the way you use that for the relationship. Like you're putting up, you know, a buffer as you know, hard times are going to come. Like you say, life happens, you know, the death of children, the death of parents, um, all sorts of things, pandemics, you know, go figure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that thought because that proactive, you know, mentality is really what helps us in the long run if we can shore up before things happen. But again, like we said, too often people are reactive. So what do you think, What's the first, like, sign that maybe we should get a therapist from just maybe what you've seen in your practice? Mm-hmm. When people What's start early warning signs, you know, <laughs> uh, the lack thereof. Right. <laughs> um, change, you know, the way that we communicate, either we stop communicating or we communicate differently. Um, those are the first signs. Um, and even before communication, even your, if you're able to be aware of your own personal thoughts, you know, perhaps you're looking at your spouse <laughs> mm-hmm. differently. Maybe you're thinking things within your mind differently. You know, perhaps, you know, the um, 
Like you make me sick. <laughs> right, right. Like the toilet well, used to be. Like, oh, I love that man. It used to be so cute, you know, the toilet right. lid. But now that's getting on your nerves. And so then you're having not only thoughts about the toilet lid getting left up, but then you're having thoughts about your spouse or your loved one that you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And so after those start to collect, we have to be careful because that can build up resentment. And then there's the wall that comes up, mm. right? And you are projecting negativity onto your relationship. So, Cindy, uh, let me ask you something. Um, so I, um, I would say in my circle, um, there are people that, uh, listen, I'm, first and foremost, me and Nelsa, we beat this horse to will to rule um blue in the face that we are not experts but you know you see people going through stuff and you're like hey you know what like maybe getting counseling or getting therapy would be a good idea just from you know outside looking in you might need a professional to kind of help you out of you know out of this funk um but how do you um present this option to someone in a way that it's not frowned upon because I feel like there's still a lot of people that kind of have that, they get hung up in the stigma that, oh man, I don't need therapy. I just need to figure it out on my own. And sometimes people can't figure it out on their own. And if anything, they just suppress it or they, you know, try to stuff it down. But eventually that stuff's going to come to surface and innocent people or people that really care about you are the ones that are going to get the brunt of it. Right. So sometimes I try to demystify this idea of therapy being, you know, for those who have lost their minds. And, you know, like you said, the stigma, using metaphors, you know, just like we go to a PPO, you know, primary care physician to take care of whatever is ailing us. It's different than our own mental health, our relationships. So I try to neutralize or or, um, normalize the conversation that we take care of other parts of ourselves. Why not our mental health? Why not our emotional self? And Mm -hmm. sometimes that works, you know, and then if not, then we can unpack what it is about considering therapy. You know, what is the root of that? What are you feeling? Um, What are you thinking about? Um, Do you feel like there might be a breach of confidentiality? You know, getting into those conversations about how there again, you're safeguarded as a an individual who's seeking therapy. Um, I think it's one of the most confidential practices you could have. And it's almost like going to see, um, well, I won't say that because that may have some neg- negative connotations tied to it. But, you know, it's very much a private interaction. Typically in a counseling um, office, there are not a lot of folks sitting in the waiting room, maybe one. Um, My experience is you have one client, unless you're in a practice with other practitioners, but if you want to see someone that is just them, it's just you walking through the door. You hardly ever see an exchange of someone else. Um, And so, of course, as counselors and clinicians and therapists, we are, as part of our practice, we are sworn to confidentiality. Unless there is self-harm or harm to others, then by law, we have to let someone else know. But, you know, for our clients, Unless they take it out, it doesn't lead the session. Mm. Mm. So sometimes just educating folks around what it actually looks like um, can debunk and start to kind of release some of these ideas and these fears about going into counseling. You know, talking through, I typically do a uh, consultation with my potential clients 
to give them an idea of what, you know, what's going to happen um, when we come into session, you know, especially for those who have not had therapy before. And sometimes for those who have, because the way I do therapy may be different from the last clinician. Okay. Well, when do you think it's best to split? So, you know, we talked about being proactive, get a therapist. We can both relate to as a couple, but do you think there's a time when individual counseling trumps going as a couple while you're in, you know, this relationship? So I'm probably a little biased about that, <laughs> <laughs> that question. Therapists can be biased. What? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know that. <laughs> I feel like um, individual counseling is always in order because you're always with yourself. Right. Even mm-hmm. when you're in relationship the relationship you have with yourself trumps, you know, that's the word you use, trumps all Mm -hmm. other relationships because, you know, within and then without. So I would say even before, hopefully even before getting into relationship, maybe the individual has uh, therapy because we all have things we have to work through. Um, A lot of childhood past stuff, you know, to get us to where we are and understanding who we are um, and developing those practices of self-love Um, taking care of ourselves before we get in with others. Now, that's not to say that we have to be perfect, you know, before we get into relationship, because there is a lot of conversation around self-love and, you know, making sure these things are in order and healing yourself and all of that. Um, You can do that with a spouse. You can do that with a partner Um, that doesn't have have to happen exclusively. Right. It can happen together. I um, am, am a fan of a writer called Young Pueblo. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Heard of him. Love he his work. <laughs> he is amazing. And he has a lot to say about uh, relationship, especially uh, in regards to your individual self and then with others. Um, and I just posted something on Facebook the other day. I came across it and I thought, man, this is perfect. I got to share it with the world. He says, um, it's not about finding a partner who has flawless emotional maturity. It is about finding someone who can match your level of commitment. Oh, man, that's Um, deep. Right? Not just to the relationship, but commitment to heal themselves so that they can love better, see more clearly, and have more presence. Wow. I love it. Right? We're we're definitely about that life. We like to really get philosophical and deep and we love to reflect on things uh cindy i want to pick your brain on something because um in the first part of the couples therapy podcast that we did we discussed that sometimes no matter what therapy you do it's not going to solve real compatibility issues can you give us some examples of what is just a problem of compatibility that therapy just won't fix regardless of, you know, how many times and how many sessions you go. Do you have any examples off the top of your head or maybe some context that you could give us with that? Yes, I do have some context. Um, I think sometimes it's really uh, important for us to understand um, commonalities with compatibility. Um, I think sometimes those terms are, seem to be synonymous and they're not. Um, having commonalities or just, you know, the same interest. When we talk about being compatible, um, that stretches into your capacity 
to compromise, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It also speaks to, do I just enjoy my person at base, right? Mm -hmm. Do I like to be around them? That's more when we think about being compatible. Um, So I think it's important to know and keep those terms separate. Because uh, you don't always have to enjoy everything your person enjoys. You may entertain that enjoyment for them, right? Just right. to go out to a ball game if you don't, if you both aren't necessarily into sports or skating or whatever it may be. But the capacity to compromise, the capacity to understand, the capacity to be just in company is so important. Um, I don't really work with couples, but I work with individuals. Um, and many of them come into session being booed up, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. What does that look like these days? That <laughs> looks like, boo. oh my gosh, that looks like so many, sometimes it is situationships. Yeah, um, oh, we've done well, we already did that, that. show. <laughs> right, right. Um, but for those who, you know, traditionally are booed up or in coupleship, um, some of the things I see are um, the evolution of one moving ahead, not to say that it's higher or lower, right? But different, right? So you might have somebody who is doing their work, their healing work. And so they're experiencing and seeing life different. And so they're conveying this information back to their partner who is not able to be on the same frequency of this new evolution. And so sometimes it's that. You know, it's just not being always equally yoked. And so this is when the skill of capacity and compromise comes in. You know, can you um, compromise? Can you be um, encompassing of this other person? Um, Sometimes it comes to that I am no longer looking for the person I have that I've commuted myself to. I no longer want that person what can I do? Mm. You mean where you've kind of fallen out of love or you're just not into them or attracted mm-hmm. to them? Or is that what you're kind of hinting? Yes, all those things. Oof, that's mm. deep. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's what I was just sitting here thinking. I was like, you know, um, I have had partners where I felt like they didn't like me at a, after a certain point. You know, like you said, when the euphoria like the desire, lust, whatever those things were that pulled you together seemed to kind of settle into the mist. Like mm-hmm. what's left? Like, do I like that person if sex were off the table? You know, if if there was no lust involved, right? would I want to do anything with this person? Do I laugh with this person? You know, I, sometimes I think, um, and I am guilty of being an overthinker, Sometimes I think I, I probably go too far and don't ask the right questions. But, you know, now I've gotten to a place where, you know, it, do I have any fun with this person? Do I enjoy their company? Do our conversations scratch more than just the same superficial, what'd you do today? How was your day? Like, if I can only ask you things that I could ask a stranger then maybe we need to reevaluate even with friendships. You know, it's not just with a romantic relationship, but any relationship. Like if we've hit a, if we've hit a wall in what we can talk about, like what Mm -hmm. our actual topics are, Mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm beginning to start to 
evaluate now like do I need to just reposition this relationship for a while maybe we need a break maybe we need to you know talk through some stuff or you know has distance crept in because we're growing differently um how do you really help people pinpoint um like their next move I mean I know as I've been to therapy enough times to know the therapist isn't really directing you as much as they're helping you to figure out what you want from the situation but you know what are ways that you help clients discover because I I think for people out there listening determining if therapy is right for them or not if it's something they should even consider um, I think that would be a good way to help again demystify why therapy can be useful as a tool and not what people think it is Right. So what I hear in that question, um, Nelsa, is kind of coming back into a grounding space because sometimes we can be overthinkers Mm -hmm. um, and then we're looking at others and comparing. And then not only are we doing that, sometimes we have a narrative running that's not realistic, you Mm -hmm. know, of what this relationship is supposed to be like. So I typically will bring my client back into a grounding space and ask them, do you still like the person, first of all? Mm. And if they can't answer that, well, what was it about this person that you liked or like? And maybe you just are not in touch with that, Mm -hmm. right? Because all relationships fall into a lull, you -hmm. know, that's just part of living. Right, cycles. Um, Yes, yes. So in the long stretch, you will see that. And I think normalizing that sometimes can be... um, rescuing of that relationship if you will when you normalize that oh it's normal to be in a lull how long have you been together what has that relationship been through what are the stages of the relationship and what is the work that you're putting towards it because mm. sometimes we forget yeah. that you know we get used to our person and and we start coasting Mm-hmm. Take it for granted. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we have to put the work in. Cindy, let me ask you something. So when you're helping somebody um, with therapy or, you know, with the sessions and they approach to you that, hey, I'm considering uh, starting a relationship or I'm putting myself out there to date, what do you recommend them as far as tactics or approach for somebody who is either suffering from uh, mental illness or who is an act who is actively in therapy and also trying to simultaneously date or you know into a romantic relationship with someone what is your feedback or some techniques that you share with your patients as they go through that process and journey Mm-hmm. So I think what I hear is, you know, identifying old patterns. Mm. Uh-huh. That's and hard so, to do. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to do. And it's intentional. So, you know, in doing that many times, I have my clients to bring two or three relationships. And so we start to delve into those relationships, seeing what were the commonalities, what were the things that um, were attractive And did they serve, how did they serve the client? And then we together determined, was that a good serving or not so good serving? (laughs) Did it move you closer to your highest and best self or away from it? 
Um, and sometimes we don't even realize who our highest and best self is because the pattern has been so functional in our lives. We think that is it. Mm. Until we look at, you know, the individual life and see, well, is it being positively impacted or not? And teasing that out. So your question was, you know, what are some of the things you do? That's one of them. Um, we want to break the cycles that don't work for us. But that's that's really some deep work to do that. Mm-hmm. And it takes a brave, encouraged heart to do so. Right. I know we're talking about therapy and I am not a miracle worker. You know, it's all about the readiness of the client when they show up. How authentic can they be, you know, in session? Because, you know, if somebody brings in lies and not the truth, then, you know, that's not going to further their progress. So the more authentic you can be about who you are um, and be able to look at that in a non-judgmental space, because that's what I try and create with my clients so that they can bring out areas that are hard and know that I'm there supporting them, you know, without judgment. This is not going outside of our session um, so that they feel safe. You know, that that is so important so that we can do the inner work. You know, so we can perform surgery on ourselves and take these parts out that are very painful, you know, and having space to grieve those parts, let those parts go um, as we get into relationships with others. Because as we're looking for healthy humans, we also want to be as whole as possible. Mm. And I think you attract where you are. You know, yeah. I say that all the time. Absolutely. I believe that too. And the more whole you are um, in perception, because I, I really believe we are whole beings, period, right? Mm-hmm. Even when we come to therapy, we are still whole beings. Sometimes our perception of ourselves and our narration of ourselves is the part that's hurt and injured. Um, so restoring that um, will allow us to be able to see through that lens and be able to see other people. Um, Nelson, I know you mentioned something earlier about, you know, these questions, how deep should I go? Um, as deep as you need to, um, you know, the ways that we show up with people being authentic and asking what we need of them really starts to set a standard. Uh, this is who I am and this is what I would like to know of you. Now, of course, you know, in the first couple of days, we're not going to come in with 20 questions. Just, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, please do not come in like we're not doing 20 more questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. And shoot them off like bullets, you know. Like, you. Lord, I just if you want to get rid of a date, do that. Right. We don't want to arrogant people. <laughs> Look, if you're like, no, this ain't going to work out, bring the questions right. out Next. at that point. <laughs> right. Don't yeah. flip no out on the questions. Yeah, no questions. interrogations. But we definitely want to get to uh, knowing someone and it takes time. You know, I have a lot of uh, clients that come in and say, how did I not see that? How did I miss that red sign? You know, how did I miss that? And um, many times. Drunk in love, drunk in love. Yes. Drunk in yes. love. Right? Blame it on yes. the alcohol. <laughs> All, All of those things. Yeah. can um, distort or it will give us that whole um, grace. Oh, I see it. But you know, mm-hmm. I see all this other stuff. So you put that one thing to the side thinking, okay, that minimizing it, right? Yep. But you did see it. Mm-hmm. You did see it and you chose not to look at it because the person was showing these things. So, you know, even getting into that and forgiving ourselves, because sometimes we get hooked on, why didn't I see our, see that? And be, You know, we beat ourselves up and it's like, well, the reason why you didn't see it is because one, you really wanted this to work and you saw these other things. 
Cindy, um, so another thing that I wanted to to touch that I see a lot, so and I, you know, I hear this from uh, a lot of people in my circle, and I would probably say that um, women tend to kind of struggle with this more than men, in my opinion. This is my opinion. I don't have anything a fact, but I would say that when a woman has been in a long-term relationship for a long time or been married for a long time, it can be a tougher adjustment for a woman to be comfortable and single. And I notice that a lot of women will jump on the next guy that shows up uh, for something serious, even though they haven't let go of the past, they haven't properly healed or even uh, self-reflected on what transpired with their previous relationship or marriage. Uh, I'd like your input or take on that as far as what do you recommend as a healthy way to shed some of those scars and some of those uh, traumas from a prior relationship before trying to enter the dating world and a new relationship? So I see it with both men and women. Um, But I think what I hear is that because we typically women have been taught and conditioned that um, we need to be secured by someone else um, and that we are, you know, some of these thoughts come from um, just the way we are taught as women, that we're fragile, that we are weaker, um, that we need to be secured. And so we look for that. And so you're right, that can be the driver to find someone else because society says sometimes we don't have an identity right. unless we are with a person, mm. with a mm. man. Um, that's where we get our value, you know, right. and unfortunately, many times that's where we get our identity. So how to heal yourself or how to heal before entering in, or feeling the need to enter into Um, another relationship for those reasons is to really grow up into yourself. Um, And that's not easy when you've, like you said, for years have been thinking that my value, that my identity um, is only there if I'm connected to another person. Mm. Um, So it's bringing that idea into awareness and then moving through how can I be strong about who I am? How can I lean into myself and know that I'm okay um, without going to the other side of, I don't need anybody in my life. No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a balancing act, right? Because we don't want to go one extreme or the other because um, I don't know if that mentality is a good one where, hey, I don't need a man. Um, <laughs> because I think that can also scare men away or intimidate men, right? If a woman uh, is too independent, uh, that can turn off a lot of men. And then that can, you know, make it difficult to find a suitable mate because then at that point... Well, you're closed. You know, you're closed. And not only are you closed to finding a suitable mate, you're closed to any help the universe might send to you, Mm. whether that's for your job, whether that's for your children, if you have an ideal or a mindset that I don't need anybody, oh, man. then you're telling the universe, don't send me no help. Let me just do all this myself. Mm. <laughs> if your life is going to be harder, you Listen. might have some sister friends. You might have some family. You might have a guy that's been looking at you 
or a woman that's been looking at you that you're sending out these messages that I, I got this. I don't need help from anybody. And blocking your blessings. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh-huh. Jorge, I see that, you know, transcending not only um, men and relationships, romantic relationships, but in every relationship. Agreed. Absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. and I wanted to piggyback on that because in my experience, um, I've seen some men who do go to the other extreme, uh, Poppy, where, you know, they've been hurt. They've, you know, had women cheat. Very insecure. Um, yeah. Mother issues, you yeah. know, and they go to the extreme of, you know, I'm just going to have a good time. I'm just here to kick it. Let's just chill. You know, very non-committal. <laughs> very, I don't want to commit oh, to somebody. Oh, I've heard those words before. <laughs> Thank you, right? Um, I'm sure you've never said them. Um, I'm, listen, at least I'm honest about it. I'm very, I will never, Nelson, you can check me on this. You know absolutely. me, you know me well. I will you, keep it a buck. You do keep it, you keep it 100 all day, every day. But, you know, I just say to be fair, like, just because, um, and I've seen some men who don't even have a month go by before they have already found their next person, you know, already got her lined up in the in the rotation and so to me that screams somebody who really needs to go to therapy because you have not even closed the door good on one relationship before you're flying into another and it's almost like this need to be rescued or this need to be um validated or or so many different things i'm sure you know better i think you know nelson part of that um is that men aren't allowed to be emotionally vulnerable our society doesn't allow that mm-hmm. so in their Agreed. way of yep. de- right in their way of dealing with the we've loss. been conditioned we've been conditioned to not cry not show absolutely like kind yeah of women get emotions. in the relationship yeah right which you know is just absurd because yeah. men are men are human just like we are they they right. have emotions you know, all the energy that it takes to not feel them, all the energy. And that's why they detach. And like you said, just kind of wild out sometimes. Or, you know, in, in order not to suffer that emotional distress and grief and loss, they'll they'll find somebody else. Um, statistically, it's known that men, when they become widows within a year, typically will remarry. Um because it's the grief portion, it's the loss portion mm. that they have not been um, equipped or given them permission to grieve mm-hmm. and what that should look like. You know, women can wail out in the street. You know, we can cry with our girlfriends. Mm-hmm. You know, we can be really sad about things, but we expect our men just to man up, you know, you know, get over it, get over, over it, basically push yeah. through. Yeah, push through. Build the bridge and get over it. Yeah. Yes. So I think that could be part of the reason why men will find replacements or move on to women quickly because they have not been allowed to grieve in the past and to know what that feels like. Right. And a balance of, I think, um, which, you know, this is a whole nother topic, but, you know, that masculine and feminine energy, like people think <laughs> we all have just the one or the other, but we all have both. Right. And when we're out of balance, then it really does make us make decisions that aren't necessarily best for us in our whole self. You know, we might be choosing what's best for our ego or what's best for that, you know, that hurt feminine. You know, I I wanted to receive, but 
you know, I I couldn't. I had to always be, you know, on the go, on the grind, getting after it. And I think, again, why we felt like this show was so important to have a therapist is there's so many people out there um, either doing what they've seen in their homes, um, doing what they've seen, you know, out on social media or, you know, television or whatever, you know, the idea of these fairy tale relationships and then mm-hmm. when they don't work, then, you know, what do you see in the movies? People while out, uh, mm-hmm. girls go through a whole phase, guys, you know, out dogging women. Yeah. But we are choosing such unhealthy ways to cope and to figure it out that we really want it, you know, Poppy and I talk about communication being key all the time. Every show, I don't think we've had one show where communication has not come up as a real relevant point in a good relationship. And so we really wanted people to hear, like, if you've gone through any of these things or if you're thinking any of these things or, you know, if you don't know the answer to how to be in a good relationship or why people keep leaving you or why you keep leaving people or mm-hmm. whatever, pick a thing. Like therapy is really a great place to start because for me, I found, um, and I wasn't completely um, shocked, but a lot of my relationship patterns were based on things I had seen in my family. Mm-hmm. And so being able to, to clear up, like, just because I saw that was my parents' coping mechanism or my grandparents' coping mechanism or whatever, didn't mean that that had to be mine right? continually because it wasn't yes. working for me. So, you know, it, just being able to break generational curses that have kept you locked and bound and unhappy is a great reason to go to choose, therapy. Yeah, the freedom <laughs> to choose. Absolutely. Yeah, just, the reason, you know, the because... ability to choose something different. You know, many times we don't feel, we feel like, okay, because we've been this person, we've done this thing for, I don't know, however long, we don't have the right to do something different. Mm. And we do. And let's be real, like change is scary and old habits die hard. (laughs) And it takes bravery, right? To try to break uh, a family custom or to do something new, right? Because you're venturing into the unknown. And oftentimes as humans, we fear the unknown. But Cindy, I want to, I want you to uh, elaborate on something for an individual who is uh, diagnosed, right? With mental health issues, right? But they mm-hmm. want to actively date. What would you <sighs> give uh, the person on the other end, right? What would be some advice that you would give them to be mindful of when dating somebody who struggles with anxiety or depression or schizophrenia or whatever mental health um, condition you want to, you know, uh, put out there? What would be some, some healthy tips that you would give the other person that is on the other end trying to get to know and get close to a person who has, uh, you know, the mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say education, mm. being educated on what it is right, and how it looks, how it can surface. You know, typically there's the classic symptoms that are displayed, um, but everybody's individual. So it may not be just like that. It may but not be def- as blatant. Right. Um, and communication, you know, it's going to be, um, 
so instrumental that the client or the person who's suffering with mental illness is consistent with their therapy. And if they're taking medication, if they're consistent and compliant with that to manage relationship, because relationship brings on stress. Mm-hmm. And when we're dealing with um, a mental health issue, um, those things, of course, make it worse, right? Right. Um, so the more that we can be aware and in tune with each other when we are dating someone who may have a mental health issue, um, the better, the easier to make it. I mean, it could be a very tough, depending on the mental health issue, it could be a really tough situation. Um, and a lot of times people leave um, because they don't have the coping skills to go the distance sometimes with those individuals. It takes a, um, a commitment, as all relationships do, um, but communication, definitely understanding what it is and what it looks like. You know, if you have someone that goes to group therapy, um, they're accompanying them to some of those group therapies to get an understanding of not only what it looks like for your person, but what it looks like in a group and how that how what conversations, you know, come up in those groups, how they deal. That is very informative. That's very helpful. So that's what I would say, Jorge, first and foremost, is to become educated about, right. you know, which is no different from any other condition you know yeah, if, if you had a diabetic exactly. uh, I've, had, I've had women that i've dated that you know obviously as i get to know them uh pretty early on i let them know that i'm epileptic so they'll ask a lot of questions and some of them even take it upon themselves to do some digging or you know the as we spend more time they'll ask me more questions about triggers how long i've had it and right you know, they become more inquisitive and that to me is attractive right because i'm like man like she took time out of her day Mm -hmm. to look into my well-being and my health so that to me if anything is um something beautiful to see right because that shows me that wow this this person is being genuine and showing genuine care for me even though they're just getting to know me so you know and sharing the plan of what do i do you know if something happens right yep what what am I what is my role? What am I supposed to do? Awesome, you know we've really touched on a lot of stuff tonight. Um, I love it. This is a great conversation. Yeah, <laughs> thank absolutely. you for me. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but uh, before we let you go, and uh, definitely want to get your information out there, Cindy, how people can find you if you're taking new clients. Uh, but any last advice on, you know, managing a healthy relationship. I would say um, last advice is to always be aware of who you are, right? Whatever greatness you have, whatever shortcomings you have, be aware of all those things because you're bringing that into the relationship. You know, I always go back to before we can relationship with others, we relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the more aware we are, doesn't have to fix it, right? The better off the relationships will be. Yeah, and some things... You know, it's just something you just got to deal with. It, it may not be a long-term it's fix. It's just something exactly. we have to roll with the punches. Like, for example, going back to my epilepsy, I can't fix it. That's just something I just got to deal with. And, you know, you, you, mm-hmm. you go on about your business and, and live. But there's right. not a cure or a fix, per se. Perfect. That's a perfect example. Exactly. And we all have, whether it's emotional, whether it's a medical, we all are bringing something in with us. So as long as we are aware and know how to care for ourselves, then that's going to make that coupleship stronger. Mm. 
you know, it's hurtful when you're coming in with things that you're not aware of. Maybe you're speaking in a way that's demeaning, um, condescending, um, and you're just not aware how you're coming off, you know. Um, So then that's impacting your relationships, romantic and all of them. (laughs) Mm. So the more aware we are, um, that puts us and posits us in a position to care for others and to care for whatever that is that we're bringing with us. Imagine that. I love it. Um, <laughs> how can people? What well, first of all, tell people um, your practice, Cindy. How they can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, if anyone is looking for a therapist, I specialize in grief and loss. I love working with Black women, overcoming everyday obstacles, and seeing their highest and best selves. Um, you can reach me either through my email, Inversation. That's I N N E. V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. I believe if we heal the conversation within, it makes us better and whole people. You can also reach me um, through text at 919-299-0970. Awesome. And we will definitely have this in the show notes uh, Absolutely. for people. Uh, it's a wonderful conversation with you, uh, Cindy. And I love the name of the practice, Interversation, uh, as opposed to Conversation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clever. I like it. <laughs> I love it. Talk to yourself, people. Um, yeah, we do. Whether we know it or not, we got a constant conversation going on with them. We want it to be as healthy as possible. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Um, but anyway, thank you everyone for joining us again. Uh, wonderful conversation. Thank you, Cindy, uh, for joining the conversation today. And Poppy, what do you got for the people? Hey, buenas noches. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Please check out the YouTube channel, Spotify, like us, comment, subscribe, and thank you so much for the love and support. Buenas noches. Thanks for joining us today on The Relationship Cycle with Jorge and Nelsa. Do you have show ideas? Email us at jorgeandnelsa at gmail.com. Follow us on Spotify or Anchor.fm for more great shows.